Um, yeah, so well, just a bit, of context, a bit of context for the people watching this. So you've been arrested 24 times like, as a result of like different activism type things, and you've also been imprisoned four times as a result of activism. Um, you worked, you were 22 years old, you worked as a core organiser of the Fossil Free um, UNSW, the Frontline Action on Coal and Extinction Rebellion. You've been involved um, in a lot of other campaigns as well. Um, and so, the, well, the first question we basically had is like, what like, feelings, like personal question, what feelings like inside your rise when you hear the phrase climate change? Um, well, you know, there's that initial sort of fear <laughs> uh, of like, you know, what uh, collapsing sort of carbon cycle looks like. Um, and uh, yeah, I've always had a drive to do something about could clearly see you know yeah what potentially um yeah the systems and, and how we can um and then alongside that uh to defend myself um to to survive and to assist my community in that in that threat um so yeah so you first kind of see so first kind of learned about like became aware of the problem of climate change around high school and then the um that and that was when you also first kind of got involved in climate action and the reason why is because you wanted to like assist community people around you in the threat that climate change poses yeah well you know yeah i uh i i i wasn't very interested at school uh for most of my life um until learning about climate change um and sort of, you know, as it is being a 15 year old and everyone asking you what you're gonna do with your life. And you're like, I don't even know who I am. What are you talking about? Anyway, so, you know, there's that sort of existential situation. And uh, I sort of figured like, well, I'm alive. Uh, I can perceive my, uh, yeah, I can perceive the universe, the beauty that I am. Um, and, I think it should stay around and basically the situation is that it is under imminent threat and so what better way for my life form uh, to be in service to um, having life forms uh, for the future that can also perceive the universe and interact with it like I can and so um, yeah from that point onward uh, my main sort of purpose in life for me was to uh, prolong the existence of consciousness in the universe and um, yeah, well, I, I started learning science, um, mainly physics, and I uh, decided that I would go uh, into carbon capture and storage um, because renewables seem to be more or less on track um, and carbon capture and storage uh, is, is still actually a sort of really failing field um, and not getting the results that it needs to get. And uh, yeah, my skills were in um, in sort of solving solving problems uh, a little bit un, un like um, in 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 quite strange ways. Uh, you, 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 like for example, 
uh, I aced physics in grade 12. So as you could tell, I, uh, I immediately started paying attention to school and started, you know, getting straight, straight A's, which was very surprising for me, considering <laughs> I was a very, very bad student and didn't know much about anything. But I just put myself into it and because uh, I knew that that's what I needed to do. I needed to get into uh, the University of New South Wales to study neuroscience. Anyway, so but in grade 12, I aced uh, my physics, so I got all A pluses. Um, and another friend of mine in, in the same class also aced physics. And uh, we would always argue at the end of each exam, you know, as to what the answers were. And his answers were always very different to mine. And we're, and we're like, oh, we got it wrong. Or some, anyway, but we both always got it right. But we just approached it very differently he rope learned the content and do what he had to do and I you know I'd spend my free time learning about quantum physics or uh cosmology and shit and so um yeah I just put in stuff that I just knew based on my intellect and yeah it was sort of funny so so yeah I can solve problems um in un unorthodox ways mm -hmm. and so yeah uh, my interest was in getting into science um and and going through that to to be a sort of backup for if re renewables um fail but anyway i've been on a long journey since then <laughs> yeah. so um so obviously just from like the evidence of your arrest and um and imprisonments like why do you believe that like disruptive process protests and mass arrest tactics are effective in achieving climate action from like your perspective Uh, I don't know why I believe in it, uh, I guess because it's true. Uh, so, you know, I, you know, as part of this, I guess you've got to study a bit of history, have a look at how humans work, how, have a look at how change works. And um, so, yeah, uh, I guess I found out um, that the fastest way to change a society um, drastically uh, is through um, what's called the civil resistance model, um, which involves mass patient civil disobedience. Um, it is usually nonviolent. Um, it, and yeah, it's the key elements of that. Uh, first of all, it has to be uh, majorly disruptive. Uh, that both gets uh, the media attention of your society. Um, and that obviously does include uh, pissing people off, um, even though uh, not many people like to hear that, but mm. it's sort of the truth. Um, because what you do when you are disrupting uh, regular people uh, is you're inviting them to interact with it, right? Because especially with climate change and stuff like this, it's seen as a political issue. Um, and, you know, it is in a way, um, but the situation is, it's not like the civil resistance model is not particularly political. It's, 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 uh, it's just uh, basically, yeah, forcing the government to act uh, where in the way that they don't want to, not through the general, not through the usual political systems. So what that, so that means it's, in, it's inclusive, right? Yeah. So instead of being out, you know, I know 800 kilometers from a, the, the closest uh, city, you're in the city, 
inviting people to you know on their day off come and join you because otherwise it's super hard to get mm -hmm. involved the yeah. second element um is it has to be non-violent um and that is is to basically yeah make it easier to be part of it it also does a whole bunch of other things which i won't uh go into the details of but basically it means that um that when you break the law from by being disruptive um you actually end up getting sympathy uh when your opponent represses you by arresting you mm -hmm. Um, wait, so before you just continue, um, wait, Sergio. And yeah, the other thing uh, is, yeah. Um, just before you continue. Can, can, continuous. Yeah, okay. Um, before I ask you more questions, do you want to just um, turn your video off and I like might do the same as Sorry? well? Um, do you want to just turn your video off and I might do the same as well because it's just like the connection isn't that great and turning off the video might help? Um, yeah, okay. Well, you will, yeah, because just like you're breaking up a little bit there, and um, we'll just like see whether this helps at all. Um, yeah, okay. Thank you. Like, obviously, there was a lot there. And so, like, you mentioned um, how, like, in like the mass protests and like disruptive protests and mass arrests, that like is sometimes it can piss people off. Um, do you think, like, obviously, these protests like, are effective at gaining media attention? But do you think they can sometimes lead to the general public being antagonistic to like what you're trying to achieve due to like their annoyance to their own lives? What would you say about that? Would you say it's like worth it um, because of like the attention you get? So you've got a much higher risk of that if you're using um, violence or yeah, basically if you're using violence, what you're doing with the non-violence portion of it is you are demonstrating your willingness to suffer for your cause mm -hmm. and you're also demonstrating in some ways the sort of hypocrisy of in in this case um the government um and what that does is it creates sympathy so so actually yeah basically if you maintain a non-violent discourse you'll you'll usually um bring people on on site it doesn't often uh push people away but you'd like it'll yeah it'll especially if you're sort of because what the what what happens when you know regular people go out and get arrested mm -hmm. uh, you know these are you know re regular people right yeah. is people have another look at the situation right Mm -hmm. So they start to take it seriously because obviously it's a bit strange that, you know, you, you, the, you I know some nurse is getting arrested over something. Mm -hmm. People take a second look and that actually ends up bringing people on board. Yeah, okay. So yeah, it says process like, of them taking a sec second look. And I imagine that perspective like you have that it does bring people on board that would come from like your past experience to yourself or which you've had many and also like the historical events of similar situations. Um, so, yeah. wait, is that correct? Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Can you hear us, Sergio? Okay, yeah. Um, so the the next thing we wanted to ask was, because like we mentioned to you about like how this course is about optimism and agency. Um, and in the, the court hearing following your arrest for participating in a budget day blockade earlier this year, you stated, my actions were an attempt to prevent the total annihilation of my species. I guess like this could be viewed potentially as quite a pessimistic outlook. Do you believe that you have a pessimistic outlook on the future or do you think that you have a um, op optimistic one? It's truthful, right? So, you know, I'm talking about the truth and that's often the, often a difficult thing when you're in a crisis situation because most people uh, like to bury their heads in the sand. This happens again and again throughout societies. It happened for Jewish people in the ghettos in Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they were going to be rounded up and sent to concentration camps. Most people more or less knew it, but they were in denial. And so revolts that happened started with people telling the truth mm -hmm. and sticking with that truth. No, it's not okay. We're all going to die. We have to do something. Mm -hmm. So this is about the annihilation of my species. It's about the annihilation of many species. Mm -hmm. And that's the truth, right? And mm -hmm. the, the, the optimism and the hope comes in the action. You don't have any chance of solving this problem without significant civilian up, basically uprising, non-violently changing the mechanisms of the institutions of this government, which are failing us incredibly. And mm -hmm. they are in full, in full knowledge, are they failing us, right? They have known about this crisis, what it means, and yet the, they are basically bought out by um, the existing, yeah, basically companies and stuff like that um, to, to continue down this annihilation project that is exactly what it is and our hope comes from our collective action mm -hmm. yeah yeah so what like from your perspective it would be like the idea about the annihilation that's just a truthful perspective and you have to um have to realize that truthful perspective to be able to like realize a necessity for action that's where like the optimism and agency comes from you it's realizing that we are like in a very bad situation and so therefore like you need to optimistically take action and hope that you can make change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many Australians that have suffered over climate change as people that still don't have houses, don't have access to um, sufficient um, sanitary uh, devices. Um, people are left in limbo and uh, their climate, their cl climate victims and they're basically voiceless and uh, you know yeah they would be yeah like yeah I think we should just basically like realize the fact that you know there's lots of people around the world that are suffering right now under the climate collapse yeah okay um so like the next thing I wanted to talk about was the um fossil fossil free UNSW campaign. So just for the people watching, just to let them know what it was, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It was a successful divestment campaign that ran from 2014 and 2020. And when in March, um, UNSW announced that it will divest its holdings of fossil fuel company investments by 2025 at the latest. What do you think led to the um, eventual success of their campaign? 
Um, so there's a yeah, there's um a bunch of fossil-free groups around the world in different universities that invest in um fossil fuels, and not that many have succeeded. Mm-hmm. Um, what we what we did in University of New South Wales is we we were really active, right? So basically, mm-hmm. we um yeah, basically through student politics. We, we did lots of protests, we did occupations of the um, administration building, and through that um, interest and that drama, what we did is we basically built up our portfolio in the, like, in the sort of drama of, of the university such that we were able to um, basically get all of the elected positions um, on the university council, which is the like highest, um, you know, group of decision makers at the university, and it was a slow process. It definitely could have been faster, um, but yeah, it was ultimately um, students being willing to do occupations um, and yeah, risk arrest, and basically through yeah, creating drama, um, we were able to basically make the um, the the majority of the students ag- agree with us and vote for us. Yeah, okay. Um, and so in, in 2014, like r- before I kind of start, or as, as we're starting, UNSW voted against divestment, stating that divestment would risk positioning the university as a political actor rather than an academic one. Like, what do you think the um, responsibility of academic institutions is in this area? Do you think, like, would you encourage other universities to do the same thing that you did at UNSW? Um, yeah, like uh, it's it's absolutely mandatory if you want to have any standing in the world. It's not it's not political. The situation is is about physics, right? Mm-hmm. There's too much carbon going into the atmosphere, and our and our planet is heating. Um, this is destroying some of the core foundational Earth systems, um, and threatening life on earth and we're having massive loss of loss of life um and 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 universities have always been on the forefront of social change mm-hmm. or technological change and this is just part of it um it's absolutely every every university's response was otherwise you know a future for their um for, for their students yeah okay um and kind of like linking with like what um students do um in universities what do you think would be like the most effective thing that young people who are worried about climate change can do would you recommend that like either young people in universities or just young people in general would you recommend that these people get in, involved in organizations like XR, Extinction Rebellion? If so, why? Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, at this stage of the game, uh, we, we have an equivalent of, of, of just over 510 uh, CO2 parts per million in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on track for over two degrees of warming uh, at this time we're currently looking to challenge our governments sufficiently uh to 
reduced warming to below four degrees. Um, and um, the way to do that uh, is not within the existing political systems. Mm-hmm. Um, the existing political systems uh, are designed um, and, and, and do uh, basically support um, whoever can pay the most. Uh, you know, we live in under capitalism and that's, that's you know, we've, we've benefited a lot from that. Um, mm-hmm. The situation with climate change uh, is um, that, you know, uh, the fossil fuel in- industry is extremely wealthy and extremely aggressive. Um, so what that means is that uh, the, the, the only realistic way um, for any anyone to um, have hope mm-hmm. through their action um, that's not that's not <clears throat> that's not delusional mm-hmm. um, is to be involved in the civil resistance the civil resistance model uh, what what we are needing at this stage of the game is a reform of how this government um, acts. Um, so, for example, Extinction Rebellion uh, demands that the government installs a binding, legally binding um, citizens assembly um, that can actually do that transition um, of this country uh, from uh, to get to net zero emissions by 2025, which is the goal, I should state very clearly. That's yeah. the goal if you care at all about your life or your kid's life. Yeah. Um, and and the only serious way to do that is by um, with yeah a large group of people um, disrupting the main the main critical infrastructure of this government mm-hmm. um, on a daily basis um, non-violently until the government uh, meets its demands. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Um, and it's interesting because especially the goal like of 2025, I feel like there would be some people that would call that like an op- optimistic goal, which is obviously links well like with our course of having optimism and having agency to go about to try and achieve that goal. What like would your perspective be like if that goal isn't achieved, we then push for just like the next in within the next five years? What would be your perspective or position if that goal isn't achieved? What we do then? So, um, the you know we are already in the sixth mass extinction. Mm-hmm. There's over seventy five percent as of two thousand and nineteen um, loss of abundance of insect life. Um, this is mirrored um, more or less throughout the whole. Um, all of life mm-hmm. on on earth at the moment um which means that the, the actually yeah basically looking after our planet and our earth systems is long o- overdue um really we should have been doing this 10 years ago or potentially more um but we failed uh, we failed we failed drastically um we need yeah i mean you know ultimately we need a emergency speed decarbonize decarbonization 
um, and uh, a shift from, as I was saying, an annihilation project to a project that puts our survival at the forefront and that uh, is adapting our society to live in a um, yeah post-climate collapse world. Um, it's not going to be pretty, even if we stop putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere right now. Uh, worse, um, I'll just bring into in, into focus um, a situation with the with climate change, which is called um, global dimming. So global dimming is the effect of small particulate matter. Um, from the burning of coal and oil that goes into the stratosphere. Mm -hmm. It lives in the stratosphere for a few months uh, event, until eventually um, falling back to, back to Earth. Its effect in the stratosphere is um, reducing the amount of sun that gets to the Earth's surface. So what mm -hmm. that means is that uh, we're, so we're currently at um, just above uh, 1.2 degrees of warming, mm -hmm. um, but that's that's you know that's on the surface. Um, so what that means is that if we stop uh, burning coal and oil, say tomorrow, mm -hmm. um, in the next few months, so almost instantly, what we'll see is a rise in global average temperatures by at least half of a degree so uh you know this like uh, this notion that you know uh we can reach uh we can limit global warming to 1.5 degrees no no scientist uh actually like when that was being signed uh thought that that was possible and obviously it's still not possible <laughs> uh, especially from the increase of carbon dioxide so um so, so yeah, solving the problem now still puts us in the ballpark for massive loss of human life, yeah. loss of um, habit, like places that we can um, live on this planet. We're scheduled for massive migration um, and the loss of the ability to produce food. So, um, yeah. That's, that's sort of the situation. So the last couple of questions, like one of the last things I wanted to ask was, um, so we talked about like, what do you think the most effective thing that young people who are worried about climate change could do? And you talked about the reasons why it's important to get involved in like these organizations and that kind of stuff. What would you say to young people, other groups who want to be involved, but are worried about like the experience and impact on the future of being arrested? Um, <clears throat> I think it was my, probably the fourth time I was arrested. Um, uh, uh, my friends and I, we dropped a canoe uh, in between two lanes on one of the main bridges in Brisbane uh, with some dead coral around us. And we were, um, we had our arms uh, connected through a steel pipe. Um, before I went to court, uh, one of the police officers uh, came to me and I thought I was going to call anyway. He said, sit down. I just wanted to chat. I was like, okay, it's a little weird. <laughs> and he, yeah, he asked me one, almost that question as to you're, you're young, you're 19. Um, 
why are you like isn't isn't this like threatening your future like why are you willing to do this and I basically just told him that um so you know it's much more detrimental to my future if I don't do this like this is about um you know this is about yeah the habitability of this planet um and and also you know we're on the right side of history mm -hmm. um i can give a bunch of uh details for you i think it would be good because i have mm -hmm. you know a vast amount of experience um but ultimately you know people in crises you know they 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 you know they they put some of their lively or like you know life possessions or life goals a little bit aside for the for the greater good you know mm -hmm. people that go to war you know they don't know when they're going to be home they don't know if they're going to be home right they have a duty to their community um and this is the same sort of situation this is way more important than any war that has ever happened this is way more important than any political issue that has ever you know come on this earth mm -hmm. um and what that means is that people are going to be willing to suffer it means people are going to be willing to sacrifice their lives um because that's what is appropriate um you know uh yeah there's many examples of people you know putting some of their stuff on hold and going into service to their community. Um, one example was the Freedom Riders in um, America mm -hmm. in 1961. Um, they ended up uh, with over 400 people doing hard labor in prison. And what they were doing was enforcing the um, fe federal law of um, desegregated buses, mm -hmm. right? So these are people that weren't criminals. These are people that uh, were going around the country um, with uh, yeah mixed race um, and sitting wherever they wanted to sit on the buses um, and uh, basically were seeing if the bus services of that um, state um, were in compliance with the federal law. Now, obviously, <laughs> that that uh, is, yeah. I mean, we, they found out that it, a lot of them weren't, and uh, a, a lot of the time they were um, arrested, they were beaten up, uh, they were imprisoned, uh, they had a bus set on fire by the Ku Klux Klan. Um, yeah, you know, this is serious stuff, and. <laughs> Um, you know, that's about enforcing the law and of desegregation of buses, right? And these are people that are willing, you know, that after having their bus set on fire, after getting beaten up, you know, really badly and stuff like that, going back again and again and, and ending up doing hard labor mm -hmm. in prison. So, you know, that, and that's about, you know, their, their dignity, that's about the law, right? So this is a, you know, that's a minuscule 
that's a minuscule problem, right? That's about, you know, um, a problem with race in our country, you know? What we're talking about is, you know, people starving to death on on mass. We're talking about massive migration and social collapse from the not being able to provide the basic needs of the people from water to food um, to security. <clears throat> and so um, it's not a risk at all um, that what I'm doing now is going to jeopardize my future. What I'm, what I'm doing now is um, enhancing my future. I am connecting with the human side of myself just as I was when I decided to, you know, um, focus on school, mm -hmm. learn science and go to one of the best universities of this country, that was my duty. Mm -hmm. um, and since then, I found out that the most effective way of doing that is through mass participation, civil mm -hmm. disobedience. And so, um, and yeah, so, so basically that means, uh, you know, I'm just still doing that. I'm doing my my duty as my ancestors have before me and I hope that my children will after me yeah okay. um, and um also like the situation is you know I've been arrested 24 times mm -hmm. you know uh but um it's not a problem basically is mm -hmm. what I have to say is so for example um recently I did a series of actions in Canberra yeah. first of all um I was suspended from a structure uh, high above a road called a tripod, uh, blocking uh, main blocking the traffic um, outside of a main uh, lobbying company. Mm -hmm. um, a few days later, I went to in, in inside of the Department of Environment here in Canberra and uh, painted love hearts and stuff uh, and the phrase duty of care around their uh, lobby. I was arrested for that as well. Um, and then we, and then um, I went to uh, in front of Parliament House um, with a, a banner that says duty of care and glued myself to, um, to the ground uh, with a friend of mine. Um, and I was arrested for that and ended up in prison. Um, and basically when I went to court, uh, yeah, I mean, the magistrate didn't give me any penalty, even though obviously my history shows I've been arrested lots of times. Um, and, you know, I can, I'm gonna continue doing what I need to do. And yet, um, yet the court systems, you know, in a weird way seem to be on our side because, um, they know what's right. Um, even though the law says one thing, you know, are they going to, you know, enforce that law? Or are they going to enforce the greater law, which is that um, we have to protect ourselves from this imminent threat? Yeah. Um, and so the situation is that um, every time I've been to prison, I've more or less had agency over that. Um, I've more or less expected it. And, um, and, probably could have got out of it for example if I you know did a few things um but um ultimately I'm willing to spend time in 
in prison you know you get free food you get a bit of a break from your work um you know you make strange friends um and it's 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 um it's not it's not much of a big deal um and the other situation is that um yeah i mean i have a bunch of fines uh, i don't pay them and um they don't follow me up for them uh, because well one the government doesn't usually follow up fines very well anyway and two um you know i'm on the right side of 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 history so actually with all of my arrests there's been really minimal consequences mm. uh, which it seems surprising but what what i'm here to tell people is that um you know the being arrested or you know the idea of a law or prison like these at least in our circumstance is a in institution of fear and uncertainty um and um yeah basically it, i go into it fearlessly and i don't ha i don't come out with any scratches uh, because it's it's uh, you know it's all just squeaky clean rooms and forms you know just like anything like a fucking hospital or something you know what i mean um that's what that's what's going to happen to you when you engage in 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 this there's forms you 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 sit down on a chair you know you you put down your information <laughs> i don't know you know it's it's sort of weirdly um it's weirdly bureaucratic yeah yeah um yeah like yeah well thank you like so much for that like that's really valuable and before we um finished up was there anything else that you um quickly wanted to say or wanted to mention um <clears throat> yeah well i just wanted to mention that basically um when you when you you know decide to go into service to your community um it uh, in this way you know it is easily probably one of the most liberating things you'll ever do uh the first time that you get arrested and you come out of the police station you know into the embrace of you know the people that you work with and you go out for a beer and you realize oh that wasn't so bad what was this whole fear around police and that um it's it's incredibly liberating um not only um you know in the sense that oh like yeah basically like this is just you know it's just rooms and forms and stuff like that um but also people get this intense sort of cognitive liberation because you know where you know we're taught sort of one thing which is you know the law is the right thing and uh yeah the police do the right thing by enforcing the law and it's very scary if you're not if you're breaking the law um yeah uh it sort of challenges some of those sort of foundational um that sort of foundational conditioning that we that we all have um mm -hmm. and it's extremely liberating and the other thing is that it's it's um incredibly exciting and fun and you know it's sort of a bit um funny that you know and i ended up in this position doing the most effective stuff and it turns out to be 
also the funner stuff yeah um and uh yeah i'm really just um incredibly blessed to, and privileged to be uh maybe not privileged i, I don't know <laughs> to be um doing this kind of work uh, that people have done for for a long time you know uh in human history and um it turns out to be yeah very very re rewarding mm -hmm. yeah okay um well yeah again thank you so much sergio for being willing to talk to us um it has been like an absolute like, huge like awesome that you've come and i think we've learned a lot and i think the people who eventually will listen to this will um also learn a lot um but yeah we will um finish up um now